the wedding, I guess I must have like drank because I must have drank enough that the next morning when I'm having breakfast with my parents, they're like, hey man, you look like shit. Like, we know that you've been going through it, but like, you look like shit. Like, you need to like take a break. On this episode, we chat with one of my good friends, we'll call him Jay, on psychedelics, therapy after trauma, and how he has a whole lot more time for tennis now. But first, Pedro and I catch up on some therapy breakthroughs, watching Love is Blind and Dating Sober. Enjoy! Okay, how do I sound? Uh, sounds a little better. All right. Yeah. Wait, go ahead and count to 10. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Six, yeah, seven, eight, nine, ten. You are on one today. <laughs> what did you take? You, oh my god, damn it! She's gonna actually count to ten. I told her to stop. Let's go, fucking. Get <laughs> you know why? It's because I went to Starbucks. I told you, I've been walking over to this little coffee stand thing every morning, and then walking to the beach, living my best retiree life. Um, and today I just woke up and I was like, no, it's a Starbucks day. It's time for me to send it. Oh my God. <laughs> Fuck dude. Don't say that. <laughs> You're not a frat boy. Or... I'm, I'm here. Full I'm send. Full, full send. send. Okay. God damn it. No, we're definitely on one today. We, we got our caffeine in us. Yeah. Feel we're like feeling I... good. Yeah. Definitely feel like I got 20 milligrams of Addy running through the veins, but we clean over here. Yeah. What, um, what's your caffeine of choice these days? Vanilla, vanilla honey latte, oat milk, what? two to three shots. From yeah. Starbucks? No, I go to this cafe, this island's like a bougie spot okay, up the well, street. Don't gatekeep. Let us know. Let the people know where you're getting your cafe. <laughs> Copa Vida. Oh, yeah, you know they have there. one. They have one down here in SD. Wow, sweet. Go get one. Cool story, bro. I did the other day. It was really good. Oh, all right, Isabel, welcome <laughs> to this one. <laughs> yeah, from the top. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to this episode of This One's On Us. How's that? No, no. <laughs> I can tell you're fake. All right, let's let's get this going. So, uh, you mentioned you you had a therapy session. Oh like, my god! Yesterday, we're gonna dive right into it. Yeah, no beating around the bush, no loop, oh, just straight in. Shit. We, I kind of had a breakthrough, and this is why I keep telling you, like, you gotta do it because I don't even like re- I don't even know what I'm gonna go into when I start the therapy session, and we kind of just uncover some stuff, and like, I got homework, and it was just. It was a great session, but I told her that we had started this and I was talking about, we hadn't really talked about alcohol at all in like in a session. And so we were like, okay, let's kind of like start from the the beginning. Like what, what, um, where were you at when you kind of decided to cut back or like be actively thinking about your relationship with alcohol? And so we talked about it. And basically what came up is this, the topic of shame. And I guess I had been, I've been dealing with that feeling and kind of trying to tackle it without even being aware of it. Like a lot of the things that have happened that I'm like shameful of, or like that, that came up have to do 
with alcohol or alcohol is like involved. And so for me, it was easier to tackle, even when it's not easy to tackle, like it's easier to tackle the external factor, like, oh, alcohol, like, let me just cut back on that. But in reality, like the work I'm doing is like an emotional work. It's like, how do I get past these feelings of shame or how do I like forgive myself basically? And she gave me some kind of homework because for me, I'm not like, like I'm not an outwardly emotional person really, or I feel very detached from my emotions where like, I don't really let a feeling or like mood I'm having sort of derail my day. Like I'm very calm. She gave me some homework to like, if I'm having a small emotion throughout the day, like starting small, like, I don't know, I get frustrated about a parking spot or something to really just sit with it and identify it and say like, okay, I'm feeling anxious in this moment or whatever it is. And kind of then let it go, like sit with it, experience it, identify it, and then let it go. Um, sort of what we were talking about with Jeremiah, like being a witness to your thoughts, being a, like, for me, I have to be a witness to my emotions because a lot of the time I dismiss them without ever letting them process or ever knowing that's happening. And so I think it's been building up throughout the years where all of a sudden I was like, oh shit, I need to make a change. I'm going to cut alcohol in my life. I'm going to like do this, this, and this, and like had to tackle things very outwardly when the work I've been work I need to be doing is like very much with myself and my emotions and my my spirit and one thing she said to me because I was like I don't know I would wake up the next day after like really partying super hard or staying out till five in the morning or whatever it was and I would just feel this icky like shameful feeling regardless of what was what had happened regardless it was just like a fun night like that feeling still would creep up and and she, the way she said it, she was like, it sounds like something about it wasn't sitting right with your spirit. And that kind of was a breakthrough for me because I think it makes it easier to tackle when I can sort of visualize it. Like this thing I was doing or the circumstances I was putting myself in, like they, my spirit was telling me, you want something different. Like you gotta, you gotta deal with this and you have to you have to address this, like you have to address that internal, those internal feelings. So to be able to visualize it has been really helpful for me. And like, I'm super excited to just even go through this week and like, start to do that exercise of identifying the feeling and then kind of working my way into, to those bigger, those bigger feelings. Do you ever feel that way <laughs> after a night out? Shame, shame, shame. Uh, I don't think I feel, well, maybe it, it almost feels like maybe like guilt, Yeah. Uh, which I think maybe are kind of, are pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. Like after, you know, a crazy night waking up the next morning, like feeling hard, I feel like guilt, shame and embarrassment are kind of all blend in for me after mm -hmm. a long, long night and feeling like shit, why did I stay out so late? I'm feeling like crap or yeah you know, what did i say to somebody or was i in somebody's dms and then it like yeah that that pops up you know somewhat like a mix of those feelings pop up um yeah well it also just made me realize like everyone's obviously everyone's recovery is very different right like and for me to be able to place like oh like this is what i'm actually doing i'm actually trying to like heal this part of myself that has like dealt with these shame feelings for I don't know 
10 years, whatever, um, like it helps, helps me to understand why I'm doing this and why I felt the need to start to cut back drinking and like take this whole year, six months, however, to, to reevaluate and to like tackle those like external things. Like it made it, it made it like more meaningful or like, oh, okay, I have this, this sort of North star. And it actually came up because I was telling her, like, I'm trying to put in place um, timelines for myself. Like, okay, I want X, Y, and Z by this, by three months, six months. Like I want to be back to being like very financially independent and like having this amount of savings, whatever. And then she was like, okay, but I would like challenge you to, or not challenge you, but I would like encourage you to look at it as to look at your internal guidelines too. Like I want to feel X, Y, and Z by this amount of time. And then you're kind of know that you're ready for that next step, but like you've been doing the internal work. And so for me, it's so much harder to identify what I'm feeling inside because I'm just not outwardly super emotional. And I've, I'm, I feel like a strong, calm person. So I, um, it was like, Oh, like, I have to actually figure out what those feelings are and then start to do the work towards feeling better, you know? Yeah. Cool. Well, it sounds like you had a really good session and you have quote unquote, some homework to do, which I think I like the fact that like when you come out of a session to have, have that homework or some sort of call to action keeps you help will help like keep you on your toes and accountable for doing the work. So yeah that's no for sure and then it like it it keeps you accountable like you said but then you have like a deadline too like you like know when you're gonna meet with them next and then you kind of like can check in and like say how you did that week and like have some something else to look forward to you're always moving around I know I've been a vagabond this whole year um no I'm house sitting and it's been I've been living like a retiree 60 year old I go on my beach walks every morning it's so nice um and really all I've been doing besides working is watching love is blind (laughs) (laughs) it's scandalous show it's not scandalous it's so funny it's like I think it's like I was showing my mom it and she was like not entertained but I think it's just funny because these are just normal people like you've you've met all these people like you've worked with these people they're just like really normal basic looking people and most of them need therapy like seriously like I'm watching these people like please get help before you appear on my tv again and um it's so cringy but it's it's quality television I know that was that was the last series that I worked on when I was at Netflix oh really yeah that was one of my titles Wait, what season? Two? Uh, two and three. A little bit of two and three, yeah. We did, like, behind-the-scenes interviews. So if they show any behind-the-scenes interviews, I created so you... those questions. No way. hire okay, the so crews for all that. Season three is the one that's right now. Okay. I know, yeah, we did, like, I think I did some season three stuff. Definitely season two. Maybe season three? Yeah. That's it's all so blending funny. together. Do you remember any of the contestants? No. No, I just remember thinking like that they're like bootleg, like cheaper versions of, of like a, you know, bachelor. A bachelor you know? That's what I'm saying. They're just like normal ass people. Like bachelor yeah. people are like 
hot and like you would like well, follow they, them they on try Instagram. too hard the bachelor they people try too hard they're too put together they're too bro they're too like finance district folks but yeah love is blind folks they're regular people yeah you know they're like you and me they're not as hot as you know but i feel like they're more interesting and real i don't know i mean i think, I think yeah. they i think that the the structure of it allows them to be like more interesting like i feel like for the bachelor they're super controlled on what they say and like what they talk about and you could put on any fucking season of the bachelor and they're saying the exact same sentences like mm -hmm. i want to see like a matrix of like phrases from the bachelor and how many times they said it because i swear it's the same conversation so i feel like in love is blind they let them talk about other shit yeah yeah you can be a little bit more wild on there and oh, do they say the word journey all the time the way that people on the bachelorette do the no that's what i'm saying like they're allowed to talk about anything and on the bachelor I'm, like i'm pretty sure they limit them to what yeah they're because they're on abc oh, that's, that's why true. yeah and then netflix you can say whatever the hell you want yeah. yeah okay so you've been watching love is blind and now you want to go on love is blind or do you want to date somebody no, without meeting them in person and seeing what they look like no but one time i actually did get approached about being on a reality show and I was or like a, one of those shows and I was like okay fine I'll like take the, the call and she called me and she was like yeah so the show is called married at first sight and I was like <laughs> I literally like scoffed I was like yeah no thanks thanks for contacting me but it's a no for me absolutely the fuck not but that was like three years ago maybe I should now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe maybe you would you just applied for the bachelorette or the bachelor no i didn't i said i started an application oh you don't, started an application yeah okay I, we, that was not on our agreed upon topics <laughs> oh, sorry sorry <laughs> this is the wild west what about you are you applying to any fucking bachelor shows fuck no fuck dating fuck love all that shit no that's not true why not because it's dumb says who says the guy that's divorced <laughs> breaking news the rumors are true pedro's divorced ben you gotta get back out there now's the <sighs> perfect time you're in a new phase of life and you can talk about sobriety you can find like a nice sober shouty dude finding a sober person is impossible especially in la everybody's wilding out but... that's not true look at you you know that for a fact not to be true mm. Yeah, I don't know. We're we'll supposed see. to be real on this podcast. I'm being real. I don't want to talk to anybody. What's, what's your hesitation? Let's get serious. Well, for one, I don't, I'm get super fucking nervous around chicks when it comes to when I'm sober. Like I only used to approach women when I was drinking because I had that lubrication and had the balls to go up to them and spit some game to them shoties and now i'm just like quiet as fuck and i don't even i don't even go out really that much anymore so i'm not in a position where i'm like meeting people and i get nervous about asking girls out like i wouldn't just go just like up to a girl and be like hey you're pretty like girls get approached every fucking day by men and if i feel like i don't want to be one of those people that goes up to a girl and annoys her even if i'm being like sweet and obviously respectful i still feel like they're gonna they don't want to be like approached i feel like and well, so i just don't i just don't and if something's gonna happen it'll just like happen naturally i don't feel like i want to i just don't have it in me to go up to girls and ask them out 
you're making a lot of assumptions. One, you're just generalizing all women, saying women like also you're not saying women, you're saying girls. So maybe that's your problem. Maybe you should start <laughs> talking about the women that you want to date and you shouldn't make generalizations about all women and what they like or don't do not like. I don't know. I always I guess I don't know. I don't, I, don't I clearly Year's, don't know what I'm doing. Your New Year's resolution should be to find out why you don't want to talk and then go to therapy and find out why (laughs) why I'm apprehensive about trusting women again may I recommend therapy (laughs) fuck well that's what this our conversations are supposed to be you're my you're my unlicensed therapist no I don't have the answers on anything but I think that you should one stop making generalizations and um I think you can find a nice, sober – well, also, like, if you're out at the bars, you're not going to find the person that you're looking for right now. So you mean I have to go to museums and parks? Yeah, (laughs) go to the grocery store. Oh, yeah, the ethnic food aisle. That's where the show would be. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, And girls don't hate getting approached. I mean – I can't speak for all women, but it's always flattering if they're not fucking weirdos and you're not a weirdo, so – Mm. okay all right well maybe one day i'll grow the balls to go up to a girl and ask her out i don't know okay i'll try to say women moving forward yeah you need to change your mindset okay well let's let's get deep when when was the last time you're like single before you got divorced before how old were you before i got divorced when was the last time i was single i feel like my my major relationships when i was like was i was with somebody when i was like 24 25 for like two years and then I think I took like a year or two off and then I had met my ex-wife like in my like late 30s I think or late 20s I think and then that was like a five-year situation now I haven't been in like a serious 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 relationship since my ex-wife so and I think that was like when was it worst 2015 but I feel like everything has been like there's it's so weird it's, it's always like three months I don't mm-hmm. care, like, if I thought she was great and this was going to, like, last long. But they all, I feel like at that, like, two and a half month mark, things just start going south. And they, I feel like most situation dating ships have been, like, three months, maybe four months. I don't know what it is, but I haven't had, yeah, I haven't had a serious relationship. Maybe you have to go into it with, like, intention. Like, I think you have to... Instead well, that, of being like, oh, this is not going to last after like three months and having that expectation, it should be like. like yeah, well, people... yeah and, and I think you're right. Like now that I'm not drinking, my, my focus has shifted into really figuring out like what I want to spend my time on and which before my time was like partying my friends, you know, and going out and getting fucked up. Whereas now. I'm, I think I'd be a better boyfriend or dating partner because I, I actually kind of want that now. I, yeah. And like having actual real conversations and, you know, doing things that don't require me sitting at a bar for 10 hours. So I'm actually pretty, pretty excited for the future of that, doing That's something good. like that. Look no, at I just your... got to find a show that don't drink. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, this is a PSA to all of our listeners. Can no, please... <laughs> we're not using this as a way for me to... That's sad. I'm not using this as a way to find a partner. No. Hell no. Well, I think we've made progress. Hell because... no to the no, no, no. <laughs> because five minutes ago you said hell no to like even talking to quote unquote girls. And now look at you, ready to find a woman. <laughs> <laughs> a woman. A woman. I'm proud of you. Mm, okay. I'll report oh, back. I'll, um, I'm going to, I'll edit this episode and I'll just put your number at the end of the episode. And anyone listening <laughs> text Pedro, if you got any nice, sober or sober curious, anyone that's just been doing the work, let's um, <laughs> <laughs> nah, get, him, hey, get no. him on his cell phone. Come yeah, on. No. Do you want to tell us about the new book you've been reading? Yeah, I been listening so as you know i don't read but i I have the matthew perry the new matthew perry book that i've I've mentioned already and i'm a couple chapters in and it's fucking wild so i always knew that he had like he had substance abuse issues and was like a pill popper but i didn't realize how intense it was so like so he spent over nine million dollars on on um what is what is it fucking called not therapy on rehab rehab he spent nine million dollars on rehab so far jesus Um, christ the man's colon exploded because he was just taking too many pills he was taking up to 55 vicodins a day at his peak and so his colon actually exploded so he had a colon he had a bag that where his you know waste would go go into yeah the doo-doo would go into for six months and I think he was in the hospital also for six months. And yeah, the dude was like insanely, ins- an insane alcoholic, pill popper, um, and a chain smoker, crazy chain smoker. And one thing that was that's nuts is the episode when he marries Monica was mm-hmm. like one of the biggest episodes of pretty much all of Friends history. Like, there's just a big moment. And he was actually in rehab at the time, and they let him go to the studio to record that episode. He records it and then he goes back into rehab, which to me sounds really not good. Like, yeah, I feel like they shouldn't have let him out for that. But if you wa- watch that episode, like I remember it and he seems fine. He seems normal. He remembers his lines. He's acting, you know, he's doing a great job acting. So it's just wild that he, the whole time he was on friends, he was addicted to either alcohol or pills. And he was saying like, when you see me ch- kind of chubby and like, having weight on he was just saying that that was his alcoholic period that's when he was mm. boozing like crazy and then when he was super skinny that's when he was at the height of his pill popping and then when he had a goatee it was like he was off the rails which makes sense because he looks ridiculous with a goatee um so that was just yeah there's so i'm, I'm excited to keep to you know hear more all these all these crazy ass stories oh crazy fact his stepdad is Keith Morrison, the like old man from Dateline. That says like, yeah, that's his stepdad. Yeah, his mom married him when he was, I think, like a teenager at the time. I think it was like fourteen, fifteen, something like that. Mm-hmm. And his mom was actually the, I think, like the press secretary for the prime minister of Canada because he's Canadian, and that time was Justin Trudeau's father. So Justin Trudeau was like the current prime minister of Canada 
yeah was like him and matt used to hang out and matt used to matthew perry matt like we're homies uh <laughs> my boy matt yo what up he used to like beat up on justin trudeau like he would what? like when they would always like get together because you know his mom was traveling with the prime minister all the time and so he was always around justin trudeau and he would like beat him up and give him noogies and all this shit so he's got like a insane wild past like with all these like weird things and his dad used to be an actor or maybe he still is but his dad was the old spice like the original old spice man in the old spice commercials in like the 80s and 90s what the fuck yeah my days could be off there but his dad was definitely the old one of the old spice actors back in the day so he's got some he's got a bunch of wild ass shit or what is your kind of reflections on it when you're listening like are you listening to it as like a sober person who's like trying to sort of get validation that like substances can make your life really shitty or are you just kind of like for entertainment or sort of what's your feeling when you read it it's both so it's definitely entertaining when he's telling all these crazy stories and then too yeah um like i when i'm listening to it there's a lot of stuff that's relatable and so like the goatee <laughs> yeah, I, I did have. I think I had a goatee fit. No, I had a flavor saver phase. That's fucking uh, which, disgusting. I know those pictures need to be deleted from my my, my MySpace account. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of a mix of both. Like I was listening to some this morning, and he was talking about like how his dad basically kind of taught him how to drink, and his dad would have six, I think, vodka tonics or gin and tonics, and his dad was also a like a functioning alcoholic, basically, and mm-hmm. so that was like something that was relatable because I feel like a lot of us can drink, you know, five, six drinks and still get shit done mm-hmm. and be super functioning. So yeah, when I'm, when I'm listening to it, it's, there's definitely things that are relatable. I mean, I do have a lot of booty problems, but my colon hasn't exploded yet, but, and I'm not definitely not popping any pills or anything and not as extreme as he is, but it's, there's definitely things that are relatable, but it's fucking nuts. All the shit he's done and gone through more to come i'll I'll keep bringing little tidbits back all right well we've talked for a long time yeah who knows what the fuck we said yeah we're gonna edit the fuck up god we're dropping a lot of f-bombs i know what's wrong we gotta we gotta chill out we should bleep this maybe (laughs) i feel like i need to like go for a run or something have some energy yeah be productive Burn some cows. Burn off that. Burn off that latte that you had. You know what I got? I get soy milk at Starbucks, which is actually kind of gross because I don't know what's in there, but it's sweet, and so it gives it like a little sweetener because I don't get sweetener in it. But today I got whipped cream, and it was so good. I don't know. It was like Ooh. something about is the your cloudy. Stomach, your stomach rumbling? <laughs> no, I'm I'm doing fine over here. But something about the cloudy day. I was like, ooh, put some whipped cream on that. You're like, let me get that pup cup. Yeah. Oh my God. Wait, are you dog sitting still? No, not anymore. But I'm getting the dog on Saturday. So I'll, I get to uh, watch the dog again. Maple. Aww, Maple. Ma- Maple Bacon Donut is her name, full name. Really? Yep. Shout out to Maple. What? What? Dude, you're about to get <laughs> canceled. I'm just kidding. No whipped cream for you. Uh, all right, let's end this. All right, let's end this and, and go to go to a real guest. <laughs> yeah. Not not us. Someone class us up, please. Yeah. 
All right, we're uh, we'll be right back after this short message from uh, our sponsors. <laughs> Insert sponsor here. <laughs> our sponsors. Are my Okay, today on This One's On Us, we are joined by one of my very favorite people. Jay and I met when I lived in Washington, D.C., and it was kind of a very weird time for both of our lives. Um, I had moved out there with my ex, and we had ended up breaking up like a year later, but I stayed. And so Jay was one of the first friends I made that wasn't sort of connected to my life with my ex. And he just really inspired me because he was so cool and creative. And we had like a lot of music in common. I thought it was so cool that he had been a music reporter. and He was also in advertising like I was. Um, and then we met, hit it off, and six months later, the pandemic had hit. I had moved back to California, and we both kind of found ourselves looking for a new job and, like, lamenting about the job market together. But then you ended up getting a badass job at an agency in New York, and that's where you've been ever since. But you really got me through a lot of those hard months and have always inspired me by being so introspective and seeking out resources for yourself and others. And I'm just so happy to chat with you today. So welcome to our little show. Um, thank you so much, Isabel. And uh, thanks for having me here, Pedro, as well. And thank you for those really kind words. That's that's super nice of you. And obviously the appreciation is mutual. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Hi. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey, <laughs> I was also super excited for you two to meet because you are both very similar and you're both kind of like the life of the party and like the party doesn't start till you guys are there. Um, so, and I know Jay, you had shared with me, you started a year, a whole full year of sobriety based off of some health things. That was sort of the trigger. So I also wanted you to meet Pedro since he kind of was on a similar journey as they say. So if you wanted to share sort of what your experience was taking that year off and if it was the first time you had done it or kind of what that looked like for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, Pedro, I will say I've heard a lot of things about you over the years, so it, it is truly great to meet you. And I can't wait for us to, to meet in person in L.A. sometime soon. But yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> to, to clarify, like I'm not currently sober. I mean, I'm drinking, I would say, a lot less and it's been a couple years of consistent reduction um but kind of like anything that is really bad for you and you really enjoy at least in my life i find myself like gradually ramping up and then realizing like oh shit like i need to, i need to like reel this back in and put it back uh in control and and it's not for i was never a person who had like an issue drinking you know i never found myself like acting in ways that were problematic i never I never had complaints from my friends, at least, you know, or very few complaints in the 20 plus years I've been drinking. I'm 35. I started drinking when I was 12 or 13, like going out to bars because I grew up abroad in Latin America. Um, and generally my friends are like, yeah, you're a pretty like affable drunk. You're all smiles. You just have like this goofy face on. You want to talk to people. But despite that, I was like, man, I'm spending a lot of money and I'm, I can't like lose weight and I like, I don't black out though in, in college for sure. I had maybe a handful of those, but there've been moments where there's nights where things are just kind of like fuzzy 
Uh, and it feels really nice to be at the point in my life where those nights are so rare that, you know, you can go like four or five years between them happening. Um, that being said, I did have a kind of a rough um, couple of years starting in the fall of 2019, right before you and I met, Isabel. Um, my best friend uh, passed away um, driving home from work. Um, he, he fell asleep at the wheel and then had an, an accident um, when asking for help afterwards. Uh, and all I could think when I got the news, I found out when I was at a wedding and I like had a drink before I like decided to drive back from West Virginia back to DC. I mean, it was one, but still it was early on. And it was like the reception had just started. So I was like, what the fuck, I gotta go. But then I, I went out that night and the night after and I drank the world. Like there was not enough alcohol to like sort of give me solace or mm -hmm. console me. Mm -hmm. And it started off where I was like, I went to a bar in, in Bloomingdale, the neighborhood in DC and I had like one or two drinks and I was feeling pretty good and I was obviously very upset, but I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm not gonna lose control. Like it's gonna be okay. And then I went back to a bar where I used to work at and he was a regular and everyone congregated there and our friends had just heard the news, but they had to work their shift. So like, imagine like 15 people just, just grieving and being so despondent that they're like, you know, shining star of a friend has just passed away unexpectedly. And then three of your friends are working bar service and they're also grieving. Yeah. So it turns into just like unlimited drinks and I think most people could could relate to like the sense of like I'll have a couple drinks and I'll drown my sorrows but I remember not remembering you know mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I had so many drinks that like I remember like sitting at the bar and ordering some drinks my friends bringing them and then like next thing I know I like snap back in and I'm sitting in the alleyway behind the restaurant listening to Tyler the Creator's 911 you know uh call me sometime because mm -hmm. we used to like sing it all the time mm -hmm. and i'm like cry bawling it at the top of my lungs and like random people are coming by just to hear this wailing drunk dude and i mean you know they knew that i was going through something or someone would tell them but but like i didn't like that feeling mm -hmm. you know i didn't like that feeling of like i don't i don't remember the the first immediate couple like days yeah. after something like important happening. And I don't know, I went home like a week or so later to officiate like a childhood friend's wedding and I had to miss my friend's funeral. And at the wedding, I guess I must've like drank because I must've drank enough that the next morning when I'm having breakfast with my parents, they're like, hey man, you look like shit. Like, we know that you've been going through it, but like, you look like shit. Like you need to like take a break. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And so that was the first like extended period of sobriety that I've had that was actually like truly cutting fully. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't the first time that I've like dialed it back. The first time I dialed it back, I think I was like a senior in college and mm -hmm. I was having a checkup with a doctor, uh, I had I had dislocated my shoulder Mardi Gras weekend mm -hmm. because a friend of mine was coming down the stairs at a bar and he high-fived me, but he fell forward and he dislocated my shoulder oh at my the God. bar. And it's, it's 
Instead of, okay, so instead of going, like this is a Friday night, instead of going like a normal person and being like, oh my God, let me go to the ER. I walked up to the bartender who happened to be a friend of mine. Cause when you, you know, again, when you drink that much, you're friends with the bartenders and the bartenders are the friends, right? And I walk up to the guy and I'm like, dude, can I get a shot of tequila? My arm is so, totally dislocated. I'm just like walking up to the bar. I haven't, I've moved five feet totally, right? And I'm in agony and the dude puts tequila there. I grab my shoulder. I reset my shoulder myself at the bar oh, and I take God. a shot of tequila. And then I use Mardi Gras beads as a sling. <laughs> the problem was I didn't go to the hospital. This is Friday night. I didn't go to the hospital until Sunday. Oh, and so, <laughs> cause I was like, it's Mardi Gras weekend. I was like, I go to the hospital. Like, Mind you, I think I was, I wasn't even 21. I was like 20. I think I just turned 21. It was like one of those things where I was like, it shouldn't be so easy to be like, eh, I'll work through physical pain. The point is I went and saw a doctor and my doctor there was like, hey, so what are you here for? I was like, I dislocated my shoulder. I'm in some pain, but it's better. I just want to make sure everything's fine. And so the doctor's going through routine tests being like, all right, so um, how many drinks would you say you have a week? And I'm like, I'm honest, right? So I'm like, 35 40 and the look on her face was just this is not normal dude and i was like whatever like i'm in college that sounds light i was like listen seven days a week you go out six of them each time you go out you have five to seven drinks like you know you 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 go to dive bars there's like two dollar beer pitchers and you've got you know one dollar rails on happy hour like you know and i went to a state school and the south and you're just like yeah it's what it is but but even then like all these things like to me seem like normal because of context but Mm -hmm. then i was like oh wait like that seems like a lot you're (laughs) like the most honest person at the doctor's office that day yeah, by the way, everybody tells me they lie to doctors. I am so honest with doctors. I'm just like, <laughs> I want to get accurate medical advice, so I will tell you exactly <laughs> what I'm putting in my body. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's really funny. I just, like, notice now. I mean, we are, we are the three of us, five years apart, right? Like, Pedro, you just turned 40. I just turned 35. Isabel, you're about to turn 30. Mm-hmm. Um it's really, I think, fascinating because there's no, there's no like right time to take a step back. Mm-hmm. And, like there's no wrong time, you know. Like, I my first forays with trying to cut back were when I was 23 and I started grad school because I moved um, down to Atlanta to go to grad school, and I was lonely and I was to a new city where I had a handful of friends but didn't know anyone and I went straight through from college uh, to grad school and. I was just like, every night I would either call my friends like on Skype and like drink a bottle of wine while we like cook together or caught up. Or if I was trying to make a new friend, I'd be like, oh, let's go down to this bar down the street and like get a couple drinks. And like, it just became this thing. And and what you mentioned earlier, Pedro was like, oh yeah, I have my rituals and I drink heavily on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, unless there's a X or a Y or a Z. Like, there's always an X or a Y or a Z, right? There's always going to be a barbecue or somebody's birthday or your friend's band is playing a show. Just come by and have one or two beers or like, hey, we're going to go to this cool movie theater that serves booze so like we can order fancy whatever. Like there's always yeah. some shit, right? Or like it's first Fridays. Like there's always, always, at least for me in my life, like a reason to, to like drink. 
And so that's when I started around age 23 when I just decided that like I was not going to keep booze around the house regularly. Like I, I stopped. I used to every week do my groceries and then buy a bottle or two of wine or like a 12 pack of cheap beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided I would just stop doing that and not get in the habit of drinking home alone or drinking alone, quote unquote, because I was always having a conversation with a friend on the phone or following like a recipe and cooking for people. But I decided that I needed to draw that line. And despite like even the the battles of like being overly social and drinking too much and going out, that's one thing that I've managed to, to have stick as a change in my life. Nice. And even now, whenever there's booze around the house, I kind of forget I'm so out of the habit of drinking at home that my sister gave me a bottle of rum when I moved into my apartment a year and a half ago. The bottle is still three quarters full. I just I just forget that I have it there. So I mean it's a little it's a little touch, but it took it took active sort of reframing to yeah. to be like, I don't need to have a drink at the end of each workday or each class day or or whatever. Because that was such a reliable way to quote unquote unwind. Mm-hmm. Um and and I just I knew that for me if I have, you know, two drinks a week, two drinks a day, seven days a week, just at home, that's still 14 drinks a week, right? Like, that's still, like, <laughs> and that's not even counting the weekends or the fun occasions. And I was like, I just need to cut that out. And so that was a thing that stuck for about a decade at this point. That's but it's hard, man. Like, it's such a, it's such a socially acceptable cutback or socially acceptable fallback for all of us, you know? Yeah. And I know something that Isabel and I have talked about as well is that, like, we know so many people that can be functioning alcoholics or borderline alcoholics where you can have, even if it's say like a happy hour on a Thursday night, you can easily have, you know, six, seven drinks that night and then go to work the next day and still feel pretty good. And we know so many people that do that where it's to your point, it's so socially acceptable to have X amount of drinks possibly during the week. And no one's really going to say anything because you know, you're still still getting up, you're still going to work, aside from maybe having that crazy hangover that you have every once in a while, you know, but for the most part, we're so used to everybody's just like, yeah, it's it's not a big deal. Like I'm paying my bills, I'm still being productive at work, you know, I'm in a, you know, can you can be in healthy relationships for the most part. And, you know, you don't really think of your you know, they always have that they have there's like that chart that doctors have of like this many drinks per week, you're fine. This many, you're an alcoholic. And it's just like, kind of like the BMI test where it's just like such bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah. yeah. And so you you kind of think to yourself like, I'm not an alcoholic. Like I, I'm paying my bills on time and I'm getting up for work, blah, blah, blah. But I think one thing that that's recently kind of stuck out to me is how much time I would spend drinking and where can I shift that that time to something more, more productive. Um, and yeah, so anyways, it's just, yeah, I mean, for, for me, tennis, yeah, I, I, I think, Isabel, you know this because we're Instagram friends, but I, I, play, I play so much tennis, I have a, a problem. I love, like, I think it channeled, like, the addictive part of my personality and, like, oh, I would have gone out drinking and, like, no, no, I'm not, like, I got to get up at six in the morning to get, like, the fresh tennis court and I got to, like... <laughs> YouTube videos and I got to get a coach. So this is, this is funny, but it, it feels good and I feel way better. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's... I know you're out there on the courts. I've seen you 
Instagram. Dude, I played this morning. I was at the I was at the tennis court at seven fifteen a.m. this morning, and I played last night until seven p.m. Like, <laughs> why? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, though. You like naturally look for something to sort of fill that, and I think that's like part of the work too. Even if I'm not gonna like be sober forever or whatever, it's like the how you're talking about eliminating it from the house so you're not just falling back on that on weekdays or weeknights like that's um I find myself being like normally I would just pour myself a glass of wine and kind of like lull myself to sleep eventually in a few hours and now I have to be actively thinking like okay how do I want to fill this time and naturally like training your brain to think of a more productive way of filling that time that's been like super rewarding to me too yeah. And, and to that end, like the sort of lulling yourself to the end of the day or to sleep, like I sleep so much better now yeah. than I've slept in years. And again, guys, like I'm drinking right now. Like I still, like I take mushrooms, like I partake in substances on the occasion, but like the fact that I'm, I'm trying to cut it back considerably mm-hmm. and be mindful of that. And, and to me, it's like a, 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 a calculation, like, do I want to be feeling like shit tomorrow morning or do I want to like be able to work out, like get up early, play tennis or work out or just fucking sleep in or like go for a walk or whatever I want without a headache. Right. Yeah. Like, absolutely. So, that's sort of the negotiation that I make with myself every time. And sometimes I walk, you know, I'll walk past the bar and I love, I love a shitty dive bar. Like I fucking <laughs> love. And speaking of like Isabel, you mentioned in the intro, one of the last times I saw you before you moved back to the West Coast, uh, I ran into you at one of my favorite shitty dive bars in D.C. Yeah. And I think it was just like one of these weird nights where it felt like the world was about to end. I think everybody sort of knew what was mm-hmm. coming, but we were all just like, oh, we got one more night in us like before <laughs> this place shuts down. But, you know, if I think about the number of hours and the number of dollars that I spent at that bar in D.C., over a period of eight, eight and a half years I lived there, like, shit, dude, I could have a fucking deposit of a house. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, dude, the amount of times I've thought that. Fence or something, you know, like sword fighting, like whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like, I, I think about that same thing of like, how much did I spend this year on booze? And I know maybe like two years ago, I decided to just do an estimate of like, how many days a week I drink, how much is my average bill, how much I spend on Uber, because those two go hand in hand, especially in LA. And I, I like I came up with like 20 grand, and we're just talking 20 grand cash. And I'm like, geez, and I've been, you know, back to your point, like we've been doing this for 20 something years, 20 plus years. And it's like, dude, I, I shouldn't be complaining that I can't afford a house in LA when I'm just literally <laughs> pissing away my down payment every literally. fucking weekend, literally. And like, I downloaded this app a couple months ago that tracks, you know, the days and the months and then the time and, and the, the amount of money that I've saved. And I think after like four months, it was like five grand that I had saved. So I feel like my, my estimate I did a few months, a few years ago is pretty on track with like 20 grand a year around there is ridiculous. That's like cash, straight cash money, homie, you know? And it's like, okay, that's a sign you need a freaking cut back. And yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's sad. And, and, you know, we go, you know, Isabel knows this bar that just up the street from me where we know the owners, we know the bartenders, we're really close friends with them. 
So you're actually, you know, you're getting my, that, that bill would be so much more. Like that's a, you know, I'm just, that's, you know, playing the it home, safe. Homie discount. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Family rate, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Which also like, you know, feeds into how much you do drink because, you know, they're, you're getting free shots here and there, or it's some, somebody, you know, you have the regulars at the bar that are buying you a shot and it's all, it's all gravy, you know, that's, that's cool and all, but then it just adds to having maybe seven drinks to 10 to 12 when maybe you wouldn't have had that if you were at another bar where you didn't know anybody, but yeah. you get into that rhythm of, you know, ah, that's the place. That's my comfort zone too. And that's, that's another thing is like, you feel comfortable. It's a safe place. And I know personally, I've, I feel like I've kind of bounced around. Like I went to a junior college then to a state school and I never like had any like roots anywhere. And in the back of my mind, like I used to watch cheers as a kid and think that was so cool. And I finally found my cheers here in Pasadena, which I, I still love visiting, you know, and I, and I like for the first time in my life, I almost felt like, damn, I have a home in a sense, like no disrespect, disrespect to my family because I have a great relationship with my parents and my sister. But it's this like home outside of work and your personal family that makes you want to go back in yeah. that sense of community. It's like the sense of the third place. Like I forget who was that posited this, and I'm, I'm I don't want to misspeak and say someone attributed someone incorrect, but it's the idea of like a place that isn't home and a place that isn't work, but that you feel a sense of community. In theory, historically, it's been like unions, or it's been like the fucking recreational center, or a park, or like a community center, right? But like capitalism got has gotten to this point where like you need it becomes a place where you have to spend money. And a bar just seems like the place where you get the most bang for your buck, right? Because, like, as you say, you become a regular. And so people are like, oh, okay, instead of your bill being 80 bucks, like, today, Pedro, your bill's going to be $12, wink, wink, and you tip 50, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. one of those things. Yep. But, but I'm super curious, like, so, and, and I'll start by asking you, Isabel, like, what have you, what are you doing with your newfound time? Like what's, what's like filling your cup these days, spiritually, not um, literally, <laughs> poor, poor choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, this podcast, like I've been, we've been working on this for, you know, um, like two, three months now. And so it's just been like a really valuable thing to have a creative outlet and like that was my new year's resolution was literally to make more space for me to be creative because i've always had it in my work and it's been like a i've had the outlet but i've been doing it for things that didn't really mean anything to me because it was like corporate life so my new year's resolution was to like create a space for myself and like make sure to nurture that creative part of me um and i mean it goes hand in hand of like okay, if I eliminate the hungover Saturdays and Sundays I'm having every single weekend, like I'll have the mental energy to channel into something that fulfills me in a way, you know? When you guys were talking just now, it made me think that I wanted to ask both of you because you're so similar. You guys are both like, people will will look to you for the, the vibe check, right? Like the energy of the room and you kind of have that expectation. So when you guys were both in like you, I know you had a full year recently of being sober and then Pedro, you're going through it right now. But was that something that you sort of felt anxious about, about having to quote unquote explain it? 
and like what was your experience sort of of other people's expectations when you told them you're not drinking anymore it's a lot easier today than it's ever been before and i think california is is way more advanced about it than the east coast is you know Mm -hmm. i think people in california yeah sober living man like fucking rad but maybe that's a stereotype but it, it feels that way um you know, my thing wasn't a full year, but it was about nine months. Um, mm-hmm. And in those nine months, I was not drinking. Uh, and if I did drink, I would have like a drink on like an occasion if I felt like it. But I was generally just like steering away from it. And that was partly th- for health reasons. Um, I found out in my physical a year ago that a medication I take for um, sort of like a chronic condition was causing me kidney failure. And oh, wow. I was just like, God damn it, like, uh, you know, fucking years that I've had. Like, the last thing I want to hear is that this medication, nobody told me about the class action suit. Like, the, I felt like doctors had been negligent, but neither here nor there. Sure. But that's what made me take a step back um, this mm-hmm. most recent time. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really, it was fine at this age. Like, it felt yeah. sort of like people didn't really question it. I felt really comfortable in it. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s. I think particularly when you've been part of the music scene or part of, like, a hard partying scene for a couple years, mm-hmm. people sort of have this moment out. And I think at least a lot of people that I'm friends with either had considered it and thought about doing and taking a break themselves or, like, respected that decision. Yeah. And so it's never, folks never... Um, Folks never gave me any shit for being like, hey, man, I'm not drinking right now. Or, like, can I just have a soda water? And people don't even, like, ask, like, oh, are you not drinking? They're just like, cool, no problem. Um, I'll also say that I found that mushrooms and, like, very low doses of LSD um, were super helpful to keep me, like, having fun and sort of sparkly, if you will, um, without the the hangover. Mushrooms more so than, than LSD, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they're a short time period, but I I've been experimenting with those two things, mushrooms since 2011 and LSD since 2014, and I've probably done I don't know mushrooms over a hundred times, LSD like 30, 35. Um, at this point, I take that one much more seriously just because it's like here's 12 to 16 hours of whatever, <laughs> but but that was really helpful because like I could go out have like a quarter dose of mushrooms and have like one of the most fun sort of silly nights and then again wake up and feel really good and feel fine and so I would joke with my friends that that was my California sober and they're like I don't think that means what you think it means and I'm like no it means that's what it means to me (laughs) that's exactly what it means (laughs) Cali sober baby (laughs) so so I don't know. It's it's a lot easier now. I think people just people get it, man. Like yeah. people get it. Like I think we're all there's so much going on in the world. Obviously COVID and just like you know, loss and so much just like uncertainty that there's there's much more appreciation and empathy for self-preservation and self-care, yeah. whatever that looks like for you. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate to have, I'm really fortunate to have friends that like understand and support me and don't pressure me in either way. And like on the occasional times that we're either celebrating or I'm just like, fuck it. Like, let's go crazy. Let's have a fucking night. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, all right. 
And yeah. then the next day we're like, I'm so, you know, and like, it's whatever. So you're talking about, you know, mushrooms, LSD, in terms of like both in the party sense and also just as a form of self-discovery and therapy. Like, do you have one, did you start off on your psychedelic sort of journey, as they say, like with that in mind, that self-discovery or was, did it start as partying and then it evolved or can you talk a bit about that? Um, I would say LSD has always been more about self-discovery and insightfulness and sort of turning inwards. Mm -hmm. Um, LSD to me is just too, too strong to, to be a party drug, man. Like, mm. it's just like, you have no idea where the day is going to take you. You just got to like, you know, if you imagine, you know, you're, you're a rock or standing on a rock in a river and the water is just like rushing by and trying to push you. Yeah. Like, LSD is the water. At some point, you just got to be like, all right, I'm going to go down this river. Like, I don't right. know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, you, you, can't, you can't predict how it's going to unfold and open up. And... I've never had a bad trip. I've had challenging trips and moments where I was like, holy shit, this is a truth about myself that I didn't want to think about. Or this mm-hmm. is like uh, suppressing like the idea of like my parents' mortality or like global warming or the things that cause me anxiety. But you sort of like manage to suppress on the day to day just to like yeah. get through them. LSD puts them front and center. Um, mushrooms I've used for both. I think low doses of mushrooms can be really fun to just augment your night being social and partying and I'm able to like really I'm able to speak and function and keep my face like I feel like it's still attached to my head you know um LSD not always the case but um anything more to me than half a dose like when you start moving into a full dose which is like an eighth and anything bigger than that going out and partying isn't really like the ideal place because of set and setting right it's like what's your mindset and what's this physical setting or space you're going to enter and i think i prefer to do it like i wake up in the morning i drink a glass of orange juice or grapefruit juice i take some vitamin b i take my big dose of mushrooms or lsd and then i go to like my favorite place in dc was the um, Arboretum, the National Arboretum. Oh, I love and I would go there. Yeah, I would go in the morning, get there at like 10.30 or 11, whenever it opens, I forget, and just spend the day like walking around and like sitting in the tree, like among trees and go see the bonsai garden and just have like five to six hours where I'm surrounded by lush nature and go with like two to three friends mm-hmm. and just have, have moments of, like connection with nature yeah. you know or going and going and doing mushrooms but starting in the daytime so you're not tripping at night the yeah. transitions are always hard right people say that so so yeah all of that was just like about self-reflection and particularly during COVID I, I did a lot of mushrooms and I was grieving you know my friend's death I was grieving the loss of society as we knew it yeah. I was scared for my family back in another country in the Caribbean like yeah, it's they're they're powerful tools, man, and they're really, really, really helpful for beginning that process of introspection and self discovery. Yeah, have yeah. you always like been aware that you need to feel ready and like mentally stable in order to like transverse into that state of mind, or how has that been? Yeah, yeah, I I was always really curious about psychedelics. Like I wrote a fifth grade term paper about 
like psychedelics versus alcohol. No way. Wait, let's pull that out of the archive. We gotta read that. I see like I gotta see if I can find it. But I like remember like I was I was really obsessed with the idea that LSD could cause like synesthesia or like a parallel to synesthesia where mm-hmm. you can hear colors or you know taste sound or what have you. And to me that was such a fascinating thing. And I've I've always loved music. So yeah. I was like, dude, if I could fucking like see sound like that would be the, the color like this is so cool um i thought that was such like a great uh promise of like a chemical and a substance and i was like who wants mm-hmm. to drink when you can just experience like you know Jimi hendrix and full-on yeah. you know <laughs> dimensions um but my teachers were like this is strange for this <laughs> child to be writing about the counterculture um but no i I think that the first time I did mushrooms, uh, I was in grad school and I was out at a bar in Buckhead in Atlanta. And uh, the person I had been casually, very, very casually, like two dates seeing was there. And she decided there to be like, I'm not interested in you. Like, I'm seeing this guy. And I was like, you didn't have to tell me. Like, this is a little extra. But the guy standing next to me at the bar overheard the conversation. And this is a total stranger. He turned to me and he was like, Hey man, I'm sorry. I heard that. That's really rough. And I was like, yeah. And this is mind you like 1130 at night. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that was rough. He's like, I got some mushrooms if you want them. <laughs> and, and you know how they say like, you know, don't take candy. Don't take anything from a stranger. I was like, this guy seems legit. Yeah. And so, so I ate these chocolate mushrooms and I was just like ate them. And like an hour later, my friend and I were leaving this bar in Buckhead. Again, I was 22, so don't judge me. I get out of this bar in Buckhead, and we're trying to hail a taxi, but we see this party bus pull up. And I'm like, yo, to my buddy. I'm like, let's get on that fucking party bus. And he's like, what? And he's, he's just drunk. I'm on mushrooms, and I'm coming up. I'm like, let's get on this fucking party bus. So we get on this party bus. This party bus is driving. A bunch of people get on it. They've got music. They're giving us beer. They got lights, disco shit. They're playing Pitbull, Dale, Mr. 305. <laughs> and I like, and so I remember texting my brother being like, hey man, if anything happens to me, last time I was seen, I got on a bu- I got on a party bus at two in the morning outside of the parking lot of, you know, East Andrews in, in Buckhead. And he was like, my brother, you know, didn't really drink at the time. He was a college soccer player. He was like, he's like, what the fuck are you, what are you doing? Turns out it was a, a promotion for a party bus company. So they took us uh, around the block for about 10 minutes. And they just yeah. And then they were like, here you go for our, you know, Eagle limousine service. But then my buddy and I went back. We used to live in the same apartment complex. And I remember he was like, man, I got to tell you some really heavy shit that's been going on with me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's talking to me in my apartment and I just look behind him and the fucking walls are melting and i'm just like dude i uh i hear you and i'm i'm you know i'm here for you but like what the fuck um so that was that was a really weird first experience of psychedelics but like it it also felt like okay like i'm i'm like uncovering something here yeah and eventually you know, a lot of that self-discovery, uh, I think I felt like I needed, and I'd always thought about it, like, growing up, I felt like I needed the help of a professional. And so yeah. I signed up for therapy after my friend uh, died. 
and it's been three years this month that I've been seeing um, a therapist. Um, wow. I guess doing talk therapy, if you will. And I'm really open to my therapist about having used psychedelics in the past and occasionally, and even during our treatment. But um, I really feel that it's been really helpful in unpacking a lot of shit. And I think even like that need to feel like the social lubricant or like the person who's the connector or the person who's got, you know, checking the vibe of the, of the environment. Like part of it feels natural. And then another part of it feels like I'm performing to like earn my place among Mm -hmm. people or like earn my trust among people. Mm -hmm. And so not drinking as much has helped me like, and therapy has helped me like unpack a lot of my own sort of, insecurities and why do I act a certain way and begin to understand like the root of yeah of you know why we act certain ways yeah I I definitely really I mean I'm I'm so sorry um and we've talked about this but you know it, it kind of came from a trauma that triggered like okay I need to get professional help on this and yeah. <clears throat> um I can relate to kind of something specific happening and then you know as the process happens you sort of uncover some other truths and it's like that it's like the action that you took to just like reach out for help (laughs) of getting through it um I I feel like I take away every single session I have something that I kind of didn't realize on my own and it's been really powerful just like throughout life because I think I think I spent a lot of time like trying to manage things on my own and mm-hmm. at, at year 30, I'm like, oh, I actually can't do this on my own. And I think it's a big, it's even like what we were talking about before. It's like, we're, we're looking for community and alcohol a lot of mm-hmm. times comes along with that. Like you find your community at a bar, you like find your people, but we're, I think it's been helpful for me to understand that I need people. I'm an extrovert. We're all three of us are extroverts, right? Like we need people around us. And it's like, I think right now I'm unpacking, like, how do I be the healthiest person where I'm like using the people around me and helping them and they're helping me. Um, But it's not always just like in a full party setting, (laughs) you know? Mm So yes therapy's the best you know what it is like my my parents don't understand therapy right the mm. latino parents they're just like por qué mijo you know like <laughs> but they're not mexican but yeah they're, they're dominican but um you know i try to say to them like going to therapy lets me show up as like the most capable the most like empathetic the most like receptive version of myself because yeah I've I've got a place where I can work through the things that are like frustrating me or the things that are scaring me or the things that are Mm -hmm. like making me feel less than or sometimes more than people you know like the things that make me like not flawed but the things that are like the parts of me that I don't particularly want to bring to burden my family or my friends with yeah. And having this hour, um, I go every two weeks now, but having this hour originally once a week to be able to work through 
a lot of things that are heavy. Yeah. Um, gives me, like, the tools I need to show up better for them and be, like, a more present and, like, supportive version of myself for them. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, we we had um, our with our first guest, one of my, my best friends was saying something very similar to what you're saying where he's he doesn't mind, you know, when some, he's going through something, he'll call myself or another friend of his, which is fine and all, but he doesn't want to always put that weight on yeah. his friends. You know, it's, it's good to have those conversations, but that's when he decided, okay, I should see a therapist because I don't want to have to burden my friends where if they know they see me calling, they know, oh, it's always some, Jer- yeah. Jeremiah is going to talk my ear off for an hour and it might not be the most uplifting, positive conversations. And he was just like, that was a moment for him that was like, okay, I don't, I don't want to always put that weight on my friends. Let's let me shift and, and get some professional help. Yeah. And there's, it's conversations about like emotional labor too. Like that, that's something that's been like discussed more and more in personal and professional settings. And like, do, should I be here to like have to, you know, bear the brunt of your xyz like i think for me i try to minimize the amount of burden that i bring to the table to someone with my own shit and then it allows me to try to be more receptive and listen like i don't mind listening to my friends but i i, I hear you better like there are some friends when you see that phone ringing you're just like oh fuck like what now like this <laughs> yeah. person is gonna tell me some fucking deranged story like i don't, I don't you know and i don't i don't want to be that for people <laughs> yeah exactly yeah Yeah. it like gives you the you're giving yourself the grace to like just spend an hour unjudged and just like get your shit out and once you start talking you're like oh there was more shit that i didn't even realize i was holding on to you know i know and it's so hard i also have like the worst therapy slot i I have therapy at 9 a.m on fridays before work so i like (laughs) it's just been my slot for three years so every friday morning at like you know our weekly check-in meetings or you know friday check-in meetings at work i'm just like like swollen (laughs) from crying They're like, damn, Jay is hungover again. Face all puffy. Yeah. Like you're really just crying out your feelings. Yeah, and no, and I'm, I'm super transparent with with both my bosses and my the people that report to me. I'm mm-hmm. like super transparent. I'm like, hey guys, sorry, I can't do you know before ten on Fridays. I have therapy. Like, yeah, I have. Therapy. And I think it's important. Just, I, I think I, I want to destigmatize conversations around that. Yeah, um, 100%. I'm just, I'm super straightforward. I'm like, I have therapy. If I'm in a weird mood for the first hour after that, like, you know, that's because I just left therapy. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably, yeah, I'm sure they, like, appreciate that, you know, like, your transparency. And they can they can schedule their own therapy, too, hopefully. Work through their shit. I hope, I bring wish, their best self. I wish, I wish everybody could have access to free psychotherapy or at least, like, talk therapy in this country it's extremely it's extremely fucked up that our healthcare system is the way it is and people have to pay an arm and a leg just to get help and find someone that allows them to like you know work through any issues or develop emotional intelligence or like yeah i don't know it's you know medicare for all (laughs) (laughs) and vote tomorrow (laughs) vote tomorrow (laughs) Tuesday. Man. 
Well, on that note, we have taken so much of your time and we really appreciate you coming on and being vulnerable as always. You're my vulnerable role model. Be like, hashtag be like Jay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks so much, man. And come visit soon. This is awesome. Yeah. Come to New York. We can do one at 30 Rock. We'll make it happen. Fuck yeah. We'll get some real mics next time. <laughs> I don't know if we can. That's the thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do some mushrooms and walk around the city. Yeah, that sounds like a problem. Dude, too. that sounds amazing. <laughs> All right. Thank you. TJ.